my babies, and welcome once again to Poker in the Ears. I'm Uncle Daddy, Joe Stapleton. He's my work wife. He's James Hardigan. Happy Kyrgyzstani Mother's Day, Joe. Oh, that reminds me. I have to call my Kyrgyzstani mother. (laughs) Coming up on today's show, well, my babies, we did it. We finally made this show part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This is canon, right? (laughs) Uh, Not being funny. If Iron Fist can be part of the MCU, then this podcast can be part of the MCU. We got a shot. We're not drawing dead. None of it matters because we are coming close enough as former poker documentarian and current MCU screenwriter Ryan Furpo is on today's show. And we're going to drop almost everything from the show in order to get to spend the most time with him as possible. Uh, Don't worry. This week's super fan, Martin Villa, is, excuse me, I think his name's Martin Villa Senor. Actually, I think I've been getting that wrong. Uh, we're talking 2020 in the super fan quiz today. Yeesh. Uh, that's right. We thought, in the interest of providing frivolous entertainment, let's do a trivia quiz based around the events of the worst year ever. <sighs> Well, you know what? Hindsight is everything. So maybe we can look back at it. No, we won't be able to laugh. Uh, I actually got uh, one quick little anecdote today, too, I want to tell. I got to dip my toe back into the Hollywood home game scene, um, unrelated to Ryan and unrelated to poker. But I thought I would talk about it anyway. And uh, before we get into the rest of the show here. Yeah. Is fucking scoop over yet or not? <laughs> I believe the after party is now drawing to a close. And Tuesday night, we streamed the final table of the high buy-in version, the $5,000 second chance main event, which was won by Artur Martirosian, who recently won the EPT in Sochi. That's right. There was a European poker tour event in Russia in March of this year. And Martirosian is an interesting character. And I think Sam Grafton tweeted about this during Scoop. Um, has only really been on the circuit for two to three years, but has had a lot of success online and live. Won two Scoop titles in the 2020 series. Mentioned that EPT trophy. Won this 5K buy-in event. But interestingly, because it was a heads-up deal between Martirosian and Mikita Bodzikovsky, Makita actually won slightly more money, like 2K more. It was pretty much an even chop in the end. Um, but crucially, victory goes to Maratha. Who cares about money? He's got that coveted scoop after party title now. <laughs> yeah, that, that that's a thing. <laughs> it is now. Uh, quick update on my end. I still haven't got fucking Trey back from Have my neighbor. Have you asked? Have you pursued? Have you chased? I'm not going to pursue, but if it doesn't show up, you know, I'm going away for a couple days. If it doesn't show up by the time I'm back with some fucking baked goods on it, all hell's going to break loose. <laughs> all right. So um, I had a friend who, uh, you know, things are, are opening back up here. People are hanging out. We are told in this country, if you've been vaccinated, you can just do go back to your normal life. So I got invited to a... Um, a party, like a game night in the Hollywood Hills. Uh, a really good friend of mine, David Pressman, who actually Hank mentioned in our interview. And uh, David invited me to play this game called Running Charades. And I really, really hate charades, but I do like game nights. And I've been, you know, whoa, whoa, I've been. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Who hates charades? I, I, I hate charades. I hate anything that has like its own language to it, like the whole, like, Two words, tap two the arm. Two syllables. For, yeah, like that shit drives me bananas. So anyway. Well, you have to bear in mind, I grew up on the British quiz show, Give Us a Clue, which okay. is basically charades with Lisa Goddard and Lionel Blair. And so I am fluent 
in that language. You probably would have had a really good time. I will say this. like, So I didn't want to play charades, but I wanted to go hang out with people. You know, I, I haven't been in a person's house in 15 months. Right. Um, so and I was nervous about it. My friend was like, please come with me a lot to me. So I go there and, you know, there's like a cup. The, the guy who's hosting it is a photographer. So there's like immediately two runway models are there because they're like just pals. And I'm like, OK, like this is who's here early. Next person who walks in is an actor named Brecken Meyer. I don't know if you remember him. Yeah. yeah, from like Road Trip and Robot yeah. Chicken. And Go, which is an awesome Doug Lyman movie. Absolutely. We love Doug Lyman. Uh, and then, so so this, this uh, and then of all people, this is like, I'm burying the lead here. It's the best part of the story, but we're going to tell it in the middle the way it happened. Nathan Fillion walks in. Wow. And he's just like, and I got to say this. Nathan Fillion is really good at being Nathan Fillion. Like he's exactly the guy you would expect. Like just now, super. Did you yeah. ask about Joss Whedon? I bet you bottled it, didn't you? I was. What am I going to ask about the most controversial thing I can possibly ask the guy within seconds of meeting him? <laughs> um, so we play this game called Ru- the Running Charades, where basically we break up into three teams, go into three separate rooms. Um, it, it's a big house. And then when you get the right answer, you run toward the center and get the next clue and then run back to your team. And it's like a relay race kind of thing. Oh, that sounds fun. It sounds fun, but playing with a bunch of Hollywood people, Jimmy the Bastard, you would have loved this because some of the clues, like you, it, it had to be a title, right? Anything had to be a title, but it could be a book, yes. a movie, a yep. TV show, a song, right? Uh, all, all titles. I mean, we were getting... Smilla's sense of snow. Like people were like just dropping the most ridiculous. But those are the good ones. You don't want it to be too easy. Right, but you also don't want it to be. You know, so Smilla's sense of snow was one of uh, Breck and Myers, and I wanted to kill him over it. Um, And then we had it. We had a Jimmy the Bastard type dispute where someone listed the name of an album, and. As the last person, the first, my first time there, I was like, excuse me, like, I really don't think that should, and I was like, afraid to do it. And then Bracken Meyer was like, yo, that last clue is bullshit. We're not counting it. We're doing it over. And everyone was like applauding him. So I couldn't help but think about you while I was there. Uh, the funny part was that when we're all leaving, Nathan Fillion gets into this car that's like part golf cart, part three, part three wheeler. Like, it's like an open air. <laughs> fancy golf cart and people are like no Nathan like lo- Nathan Fillion loves being Nathan Fillion like he loves driving up and down the street and like having people like take his picture and like say hello to him sitting in this car Bless. and he like drove it up and down the block and as he went tearing past on this thing I was like I can't believe Nathan Fillion's gonna die on the same day I met him <laughs> and everyone like burst out laughing and I am now uh, invited back until next time. Nice. Um, so, yeah. So, it was fun being around people, even though I didn't no, think it was absolutely. going to be. I think uh, really glad I went. We're all at that um, point now where that's what we desire. And as you say, it's just kind of being cautious and being sensible about it. But I completely understand that need to socialize and that need to actually see people face to face rather than on a fucking Zoom call. Yeah. You got you got any plans for that kind of thing coming up? Um, I haven't. But I, there are a few people who I know have been friends of mine who have been vaccinated. And I'm going to suggest that, you know, even if it's meeting up outdoors, although the weather's really shit right now. I mean, granted, restaurants and bars here, you can now go indoors as well. Um, I'm just, look, 
you know me, I, I'm being very, very cautious sure. and I still want to kind of be a hundred percent certain that I'm minimizing risk. But you saying you're willing to meet up with someone outdoors is big progress for you. Yeah. So I'm I'm happy about that. I just look not being funny. It I know that the running gag, right, is that the weather in the UK is always shit, but the harsh yeah. reality is by the time you get to the middle of May, it's not normally this bad. It's cold outside, we've got hailstorms almost every single day. It's like phenomenally shit right now. It's genuinely unpleasant, I assume, unless you're going to stand underneath like an easement of a bar or something, right? If you're like going to go for a well, walk, it's probably terrible. I mean, you can imagine all the hospitality industry invested heavily in outside awnings and those uh, those ridiculously bad for the environment things that heat the outdoors just because that's their business right now. People can only be outdoors. As I said, that has now changed. You can have limited capacity indoors, but I think I'd still prefer to be, you know, not confined right now um anywho uh, just realized joe that we did say that we would revisit um the john curry book we run bad on this week's show we kind of screwed up a little bit right if we're going to do a book club we need the reviews of everyone in the community not just our thoughts um and we should really have said to people send in your comments in advance now yeah but even though we said in last week's podcast send through your thoughts very few people a grand total of two actually contributed. Okay, <laughs> I'll take two. I mean, also, should make more of an effort, and again, this is very much on us, not on you guys, should make more of an effort to keep an eye on the hashtag PITE timeline, to read out your questions, read out your comments. So thank you, for example, to Danny Hobo, who tweets, just finished PITE episode 207 should be the correct hashtag at least. 207 episodes in COVID times, six more to go to finally be up to date. What am I going to do with all that extra free time? Well, Danny, I can tell you there are some people who start again from the beginning. (laughs) Uh, Danny, hello. Nice that you finally caught up. I think, James, I think that's ridiculous, but I think there's plenty of PokerStars retro uh, that you could download the audio to, that there's, um, there's some great... Sunday Million streams. There's the scoop after, after, after birth uh, broadcast coming up. So there's plenty of ways. No, thank you, Danny. Good to have you on board. Uh, Sam Pye has a question for the next time we run a mock. Probably save that one for next week. Um, Chert, Chert Lepovsek was one of the people you sent the book to, right? Yes, Chert. Okay, thank God. Yeah, I sent the book to like five different people. We better have gotten at least five reviews. Chert says, thanks for sending the book all the way to his home country. Love the book and the new episode of Poker in the Ears. The author was on fire. Would love the next book for the book club. Don't get greedy, but thank you for contributing. (laughs) Uh, And finally, this doesn't count because Gabe actually asked whether he should read the book first or listen to the podcast first. And John Curry responded and said, I don't think there were any major spoilers, but Gabe took the decision to get the Kindle edition and said, yeah, that was pretty good. Felt like an indie movie that does some neat things with time and perspective. Some references, those of us who grew up in New York get, but overall definitely worth the cost of the Kindle edition to which John Curry responds. Thanks. (laughs) And that's your lot. Well, I'm glad that the people who read it as a result of the show felt like it wasn't a waste of their time. I'd be interested to hear if anybody did not like the book, but obviously I'm more pleased to hear that it did not mess with anybody. James, you ready to get to the meat and potatoes of this week's podcast? Absolutely. Our special guest, a filmmaker who 10 years ago 
directed the documentary Bet Race Fold, also directed a series of mini documentaries profiling some of the members of Team Poker Stars online. He's now working in Hollywood and has co-written one of the most eagerly awaited films of the next 12 months, Marvel's Eternals. It's time to talk to Ryan Furpo. We are thrilled to welcome to the Poker in the Ears podcast, Ryan Furpo. Ryan, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Thank you. It's good to be here. And the I, obvious wait, place... We should, say, we should say it's good to be back here, right? Like, you've never been on yeah. the podcast before, but Ryan has has worked for poker stars and with poker stars before this is crazy absolutely sure. well let's let, let's get to that point but i want to start at the beginning and i really want to get the background story i guess if we're going to be on brand your origin story um <laughs> how did you get into filmmaking how did you end up working in poker um well i always kind of had a passion for stories and when i was maybe like uh you know 12 or 13 i was kind of got into comic books it's like a lot of kids that age, but I really, I was into the artwork and I was, I drew and I, I could draw pretty well. And I, I thought that I would be a comic book artist one day. And then I just kind of like plateaued basically and was not like progressing that far with the, the drawing. And I got really into like the storytelling aspect. And then when I was maybe about like 15 or so, I started writing like short stories and I was a really like terrible student in school. I actually barely graduated high school. Um, and uh, I had to take uh, like gym class in my senior year because I had failed gym class in my freshman year, which is kind of humiliating. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so I barely graduated, but I always did well in like English and creative writing classes and always had kind of a knack for that. And then, um, and then, uh, and then after I got out of high school, I started just getting more serious about movies. And that was kind of like in a golden era of cinema, you know, like that's when like, um, like Boogie Nights um, came out and oh. uh, there was, and like, um, the I 90s were pretty yeah, awesome. Exactly. Was an Awesome yeah, like period mid to, of films. Mid to late 90s, yes. I always so, say 1999 alone is just such a yeah. phenomenal year yeah. for, for motion well, picture. Yeah. And that's the year I graduated high school. So nice. it was just like the perfect storm, basically. It was like, uh, you know, the moneymaker effect, in a sense, uh, in terms <laughs> of filmmaker ex filmmakers exploding. And then at the same time, the technology, you know, was getting really um, accessible because there was like mini DV, Sonic kind of came online. You could actually like shoot stuff and edit it on an iMac. And, um, and actually make something that looks pretty, pretty good. So I kind of started making movies just with friends, just like in the backyard and doing like silly little stories. And that just kind of, uh, blossomed from there into uh, a passion for, for filmmaking. And I started to take it seriously and decided, decided around like 17, 18 years old, that that would be what I was going to do with my life and just kind of dedicated myself uh, to that from, from that point forward. But how do you then turn that into a career? Because we all know yeah. that it's fine to say, I'm going to be a filmmaker. It's right. not easy to actually get to that point, right? Yeah. So, you know, like I think that when you talk to anybody uh, who in Hollywood, they'll always tell you that you know, there's no like one way and everyone has their own path. And uh, like I write with, I write on my own, but I also write with my cousin. And for example, my cousin has a very kind of more traditional story where he went to NYU did really well there. He started directing commercials after that. And then that eventually led him to, to Hollywood. And my path was definitely more unconventional than that. Like I was always into like um, independent films. And so, uh, so when I, so I always thought that my um, way into filmmaking was going to be through uh, just independent cinema. Like, so I was always kind of on the lookout of like, how can I make this happen? Like who's going to finance my movies basically. 
And around that same time, this was like in like the early 2000s. And so obviously, as you guys know, the poker boom was kind of um, getting underway and, and rounders, you know, had come out around yeah. that, that same time. And so I had been playing a lot of poker too with my, with my friends. And um, there was actually like this uh, card room in my hometown that had been like grandfathered in and had been there since like the 50s. And we started going to this, this card room was in the back of a bar called the pastime and it was like super like seedy like shady place and there's all these like really like bizarre characters you know like characters that straight out of rounders or straight out of like just like cliches of what you think of when you think about smoky old card rooms and i just kind of really fell in love with that atmosphere you know i just loved being around these like old guys with their stories and their and their cigarettes and all that stuff and so i started playing um a bunch like in, in that card room and that's where i kind of really learned the game um, and then, and then that, um, blossomed into just going around to all the card rooms, uh, in the Bay area. That's where I'm from. And there's just, there's a lot of card rooms up there. And so we would just go on these, like, I basically had a friend at that time who was kind of like my worm to the, to, to the Mike <laughs> Um, and we would just go on these like vendors, you know, and just do like, go up to cash Creek and then go to like San Pablo and then go to, um, the, um, man, I can't remember the names, but go to all so- the, the card rooms. When and you're then, doing uh, this, yeah. when you're doing this, is it already in your head? Sorry, to is it already in your head? They're like, I want to make films about this, or had well, you not connected is, it yet? That's the thing is, like, I hadn't really. I I kind of connected it because obviously I saw Rounders and I knew that you know you can make these movies and also California Split, you know, which is a Robert Alden movie from the seventies, which is awesome fantastic. Really like good. all those movies, you know, I was like, okay, I know that there are stories here, but I wasn't like deliberately thinking, like you know, um, the writers of Rounders, like Brian Koppelman. And, and David yeah. Levine, yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. They always talk about how they were doing that, but with the idea that this could be a movie one day. I wasn't really doing that, you know? I was just, I was 21, and I was just, like, having a good time, you know? Like, m- having a big win, going to have sushi, like, staying up all night, doing it again. Like, I was just living that lifestyle and enjoying it, um, and just that kind of freedom. But at the same time, in the back of my mind, I always was like, but, you know, I want to be a filmmaker. That's what I really want to do. And then that's where the connection between my original idea of like, I need to find out who's going to finance my, my movies. Like, where is this independent film financing going to come from? So I was playing a lot of live poker, mostly because I had, I was always a Mac user. And back in those days, I just didn't have like software really for, um, it's for Mac. And so, yeah, it was a really weird reason, but, but so, and then, so eventually I discovered um, online poker and the two plus two community. And when I found that, I was like, oh, my God, this is the greatest untapped resource of independent film financing. Like, these are all like young kids for my age. They're making like a million dollars a month. And I was like, they they love movies because they're they're kids. So, of course, they love movies. And I'm going to basically I'm going to kind of infiltrate this community and become friends with them. And then they're going to make my movies. And that ended up proving to be a lot more difficult than I originally thought. I remember my like early posts in two plus two where I would just get like flamed like so hard. And I just didn't understand like internet culture at that time. And it was like really disheartening and I would, you know, just go in my room and cry about it. Um, but eventually I, that led to me meeting um, Jay Rosencrantz who is, you know, uh, was a high stakes professional at the time. And he also um, founded, uh, well, at the time, there was three bet, but then that eventually became Deuces Cracked, which is an online poker training site, yep. which um, I guess doesn't exist anymore. But back in those days, he was kind of like this poker businessman slash high stakes pro, but he also had a passion for filmmaking and he was an, an aspiring screenwriter himself. And so we kind of struck up an online friendship 
um, that eventually evolved into like, let's make a documentary about online poker. And so that, um, so that was uh, the beginning of, our, of a collaboration that would start with, we made these documentary shorts um, called uh, From Busto to, to Robusto, which were, um, that was like back in like, it was like just post UIGEA, but it's like pre-Black Friday. And then those eventually grew into us doing a feature where we brought on um, other online professionals and put together a budget to do uh, Bet Race Fold, which, yeah. which we would start shooting that. You know, we started shooting that before Black Friday, and then Black Friday happened while we were filming. Well, that's which, what I find yeah. fascinating is that you went into that without the realization of which way the story was going to go and the fact that this was going to be not just a story about the poker boom but also about the yeah. poker bust um yeah and i mean what when that happens you kind of like oh it's over or are you actually thinking oh this is awesome we just pivot and we've well, got an amazing story here yeah now. <laughs> no it's it was um yeah i'll just go through the the sequence of that of those events but basically when when we started making um that race fold, it was just meant to be like a, um, like a subculture documentary, basically. That was like, not literally had like a big like plot or anything like that. It was just about like, look at this crazy world where these like online right. millionaires and blah, blah, blah. And isn't this cool. Um, and then when that happened, I was actually also doing work for poker stars at that time. And I was like in the middle of, um, a video that I was doing for them. Um, and, uh, I remember that, um, it was like, uh, just cause like how the way, the way that, these things work is like sometimes you know when you're doing a video you have to like put up some upfront money and then you kind of collect it once the video gets delivered and blah 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 and i had laid out a bunch of money to do this video and then black friday happened and i was like i was in the editing suite with uh my graphics artist and uh and i and then i got that news and i was like oh my god like what's what the hell is going on but to pokestar's credit like they called me like almost right away and we're just like don't worry about it like everything's fine like you like you don't have to worry about it. We're going to take care of you. And I, and I didn't, I didn't really, I didn't really worry about it. And then, um, and then uh, we kind of realized at that point that this was an incredible moment in time, an incredible moment for the poker world that we were just basically fortunate enough to be capturing. And so I, I think I hopped on a plane like um, the next day to go shoot with uh, Danielle or D moon girl to basically get her um, Black Friday reaction. Yeah. And then, you know, from there, the movie just kind of took on a totally different uh, shape where it was, it became about the online poker story. Whereas before that was just sort of like, um, that was just a way into the world. And then it was about the characters. And it did actually become a real challenge to try to figure out like, well, how do we balance these like personal stories with the overall, um, industry story basically and there's even times where we were like maybe we should just cut out all the personal all the characters and just make it be like it's totally straight like industry you know kind of um corruption intrigue you know kind of a boom boom to bust story yeah um but we we eventually settled on this kind of like hybrid version but um but yeah no it was a uh, it was a, it was an evolution you know at first we just didn't know how to react just like everyone and then we eventually came around to realize that this was actually uh, an incredible it was it made the story like even better basically yeah i mean i think the end result is a phenomenal documentary and i actually rewatched it recently and it still holds up incredibly well and, and it is the perfect kind of analysis and story of what happened between kind of the rounders era and the the, the growth and inception of online poker to what happened in april of 2011 
And as you mentioned there, Ryan, you were also working for Stars at the time. So you were making those short films about the members of Team mm-hmm. Poker Stars online. Uh, right. And those videos about players like Nananoko, Mickey mm-hmm. Peterson. And I'm not going to mention any names here, right? But some of those players were not particularly interesting human beings. And you somehow <laughs> made them interesting. And that is the greatest compliment I can pay you as yeah, a filmmaker. I, I would say that those short films I remain some, some of the most watchable things that poker has ever put out there. And it's no surprise that you went on to do more stuff because those are, like I said, just incredibly watchable. I really appreciate that. Um, yeah, I mean, definitely... You know, like I worked with the same cinematographer on Bed Race Fold and then throughout all those um, shorts. And we would always talk about like, man, we're just like filming people sitting on a computer clicking a mouse. Like, this is pretty hard to make this be like really compelling. And um, and so, yeah, so we had to try to figure out our little tricks and, and just find, you know, but we try, you know, we really worked hard to try to find like the heart of each story and the heart of each character. And I will say that, you know, regardless of how maybe any, any of those people come across uh, in, in other avenues, like everyone that I met through that process was, you know, really a pretty interesting and fascinating person. And, and that was a really like, that was just a really fun time in my life. You know, I mean, it was just kind of, they, PokerStars just sort of like, you know, gave us some money and just said, hey, go travel around Europe and just make these videos. And they were pretty like hands off with the whole process. Um, What's and that I, like? So was, <laughs> 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 yeah, well... <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to say about that. No, but, um, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, they were pretty. They were pretty hands off at the time, and um, and just kind of trusted uh, everything. And when there was like high profile, more high profile guys, maybe they would like show up and be, and kind of see like make sure this is like going okay. But for yeah. the most part, it was just sort of like me and my two friends just going around Europe and and having adventures and making making little films. I mean, so many of them still stand out in my mind. And I, I mentioned that I am Nananoko. Uh, video. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was just like, do you know what? We've discovered this guy is just a huge nerd. So let's just make a video about the fact that he's a huge nerd. I mean, it 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 yeah. it, it it showed him for what he is. Interestingly, just to bring things f- to the present day, um, I don't know if you remember making the the video about Mickey Peterson, but there was a scene in a pub in London yeah. where he's having a drink mm-hmm. with Sam Grafton, and Sam, yes. who has worked with us on many of the live streams we've done in the last twelve months, Sam has just signed as a sponsored player for PokerStars. So that's wow. how kind of things come sort of full circle and yeah. everything You're seems to be You're a good talent connected. scout. <laughs> <laughs> well, congratulations to Sam. I actually, yeah, I remember that. That was actually one of the more fun trips. I mean, Mickey and Sam, they had a great chemistry and, and they were just like really fun to hang out with. And I think at that time, that was maybe only like the second time I'd been to London. So I didn't really know it very well. And um, and they just really took us all around and showed us all the like the cool spots and um, but yeah, Sam, he's, he's a, he's a good guy. He was full of jokes and, um, also really smart. And I've actually, you know, I'm watching him play poker on TV too. And he's actually very, he's a really talented poker player as well. Yeah. So good signing. So this Ryan, is the- I, 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 I gotta know, Ryan, how do you make the transition from I am Nano Noko yeah, right. to writing one of the biggest movies that will ever be filmed? Uh, Look, I'm what, gonna, what's that gap there? I'm yeah, going to well, go on like a limb said, here yeah. and say that Kevin Feige saw your biopic of Felix Schneider's <laughs> and was like, I need that guy. <laughs> that is exactly right. <laughs> yeah, no, no, uh, no, it's, um, yeah, like I said, you know, my path to Hollywood was pretty unconventional. 
And I will say that um, as much fun as I had um, in the poker world and as, as proud as I am as, as, of some of the content that we created and of Bet Race Fold in particular, that basically made absolutely like no dent in Hollywood. You know, like yeah. <laughs> everybody that I've met. I, I understand, world, Ryan. I, like, I believe me. Never, I understand. Yeah. So anyway, so so independently of all that, while I was um, working on all those all those uh, videos, I was also just writing. Like I kept writing the whole time, and I just writing you know script after script, just like specs, you know, that I just would write and stick in a drawer. Um, and then at the same time, my cousin uh, he was uh, he was a commercial director, and so he was making all these like commercials and and having success in that area, and he did a lot of stuff for like. Um, like Tinder and a lot of like early kind of like tech uh, companies and stuff. So he had a whole uh, career going, but he was at, he was basically going through this um, crisis where he's like, you know, I didn't really get into movie making to just shoot like close-ups of credit cards on a beach, you know, and I want to make a movie. And so we had always had this kind of like unofficial collaboration where I would just constantly like send him my stories and he'd send me like cuts of his films and we would just like go back and forth on notes and so we decided, like, let's make it official and let's write a movie together and, um, and and make it because he felt that he could raise, you know, like whatever half a million bucks and I could raise a half a million bucks and we could just go and do this thing like totally bootstrapped on our own. So. Um, so, yeah, we, so we got together and we wrote this movie that ended up being this script called uh, Ruin. And it's a, it's a script. It's, so it's basically it's the story of the movie is basically it takes place six months after the war, after World War Two. And it's about an ex-SS officer who's tracking down the former members of his death squad to kill them one by one. And so it's a very kind of like harrowing, very stark, very um, challenging script um, that we wrote really to do ourselves and just like go to Eastern Europe and just film it for like a million bucks and, um, and just make it. Um, but what ended up happening is that that script got into the hands of a... Um, through a total coincidence, that script got into the hands of a, a manager um, at this company called LBI, who's it's a management group, and you know they have a bunch of like big name uh, people on their roster. But this manager was like kind of the perfect time for him to get the script because he had just become manager. His name's Sam Warren, and he's really the guy who kind of launched our career because he just he read the script, read Ruin, loved it, and he just said, "I want to sign you guys." And and he basically just him and his partner Harry Langsfield. They just shotgun blasted that script like all over town. And um, it just really like caught fire. Like everyone just really fell in love with that script. And we ended up when, you know, when you first get into Hollywood, they send you on these things that they're called uh, general meetings. And basically Horrible. it's just like, <laughs> they're awful. Yeah, I mean, we, I, it's, if you, I could, if you do them by yourself, I could imagine that they're like, they're, yeah, they're, they would be just like torture, but doing them with my cousin, who's also like my really good friend. Also, you had a like, script that people loved already, yeah, right? Well, so too. they're excited <laughs> to meet you. That too. Yeah. yeah. So we did all these general meetings and we ended up doing like crazy number, like 80 general meetings in like five weeks or something like that. We were just like, we were just going all around Hollywood, just like driving everywhere. This is pre-pandemic, obviously. So there's in-person meetings and we were just meeting like everyone. And, um, and we just basically through that developed like a really good kind of reputation and network. And then that script ended up getting optioned and um, sort of put us in the camp of like, you know, paid writers and, and people that you have to take seriously. Um, and then, uh, and then so that kind of like launched our career. And then that same year, we ended up um, selling another spec script to Netflix called Mimi from Rio, which is like this uh, like sci-fi 
um, thriller about these two brothers who have to transport the world's first artificially intelligent android through the slums of uh, of Rio um, and out into into uh, into Colombia. And so it was like, awesome. yeah, so it's, yeah, so it was a really super ambitious, like really big, fun movie. And so we sold that the same year. And then like right after we sold that to Netflix, we learned that we we won the blacklist, which is like uh, the blacklist is basically uh, every year they collect all the scripts that haven't been made and um, and make a list of like the best ones that, you know, are un- unproduced basically. And so it's like it's totally like an industry thing that industry people pay attention to. But like obviously like general people, general audience doesn't really know anything about it. But we our script won the blacklist. And so we were just kind of like the kings of the mountain that year. And um and so during all that like crazy ascension, yeah. we had a, gen- a general meeting with um, Nate Moore, who at the time was producing like a little uh, unknown movie called Black Panther. And, um, and so he was at Marvel and, um, and we just had like a really good general meeting with them and we just really vibed. And we talked about like, um, because they, at that time they knew that, you know, phase three was starting to wind down and yeah. the Avengers story was going to wrap up. And so they were like talking about like, well, they're talking not to us, but talking amongst themselves about like what's going to be next and what are we going to do? And so, um, so we just sort of like, we just kind of jammed and, and talked about like what could be the future of Marvel basically. And, um, and, but you know, like that was one of, like I said, like a hundred general meetings. So we didn't like think that much of it, but then the next early, the next year, Nate just called us like out of the blue and it was just like, Hey, why don't you come down? Like, we want to talk to you about a project. And so we went down and that basically ended up being Eternals. Um, Wow. And, uh, and we went through like a whole pitch process on it, which was very uh, grueling and excruciating and long. And it wasn't like he didn't just hand it to us in the room. We had to, we had to earn it basically, but you know, we got that opportunity based on, uh, you know, all the success that we had with Ruin and Mimi from Rio the year before. Uh, Man, I could talk to you for hours about this stuff. I kind of have to like be (laughs) careful about what I ask you next, because I know we don't have all day with you. Uh, James, I can see you. Do you, you have? I was just going to say, bearing in mind that you said at the age of 12, 13, you were into comic books. Is this something that yeah. was on your radar? I mean, did you know the Eternals back to front or is it like, um, shit, I now have well, to cram like yeah. six years of research into six, into six days? I mean, the truth is that when I was into comic books, I was really more into like image, you know, like Spawn and Youngbloods and like all those kind of all those ones like I was because also because like like I said I've always felt like a little bit of a kind of I don't know like an outsider or like a maverick type I think that's why I was like really attracted to poker and so at that time you know Marvel was kind of like the establishment you know right. <laughs> and so Image was a new kind of upstart um had all this like cool like really edgy stuff like Savage Dragon and all this like and that's Max what, so was that's that an was, Image comic too uh, I don't, I don't know. I don't remember. The kid who was fr- a kid was a friend of like a giant monster. Anyway, I, I, I remember <laughs> at the time image was like the more violent one was like the exactly. sort of that was R rated stuff. Yeah. 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 And like, and like Lobo, that was like, that was DC, Lobo. Yeah. Yeah. I think Lobo did a crossover with image too, but yeah, like that was the stuff that I was like, yeah, this is what I'm into. So I didn't know like tons about Marvel besides just like this, the standard canon, you know? And so I wouldn't say that I was like a huge, um, Marvel, nerd or anything and actually when we did get the chance to pitch on eternals we hadn't seen every marvel movie and i think there was about 20 at that time and so we ended up having to do like you said like a crazy cram session excuse me where we watched like all the movies like 
two, two, uh, twice a, two a day, you know, for like a week basically to catch up to speed. So, um, so, you know, I was really, I, I did, I do remember like I had, I had seen Iron Man, you know, in the theater when it came out and Avengers, I had seen, um, like three times in the theater. So I really did appreciate the movies and I, and I, and also like really, um, appreciated what they were doing where they were basically trying to do this essentially like the, the most ex- the biggest, most expensive TV show of all yeah. time, you know, um, and connecting all these, all these movies. And, and, you know, like, I think like, just incidentally, I'll say that we're like very much like in it right now, uh, the Marvel story. Um, but I think like when you, when we get like several years removed, like 20 years from now, like people are going to look back at what Kevin did with, with this. And it's going to be like one of the all time greatest. I think it's the greatest cinematic achievement ever. Like even with what's already been done, right. With like Mm -hmm. the 23 or 24 movies that exist, like it is mind blowing how good it is. And there are no bad ones. Yep. Agreed. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they're really good at, um, at just polishing and polishing and polishing until everything feels like, you know, shiny, I guess. So what kind of pressure is associated with that? Like how much do you feel it? It's like, you know, probably the, when you turn in Eternals or when you're working on Eternals at that time, it's probably the most scrutinized thing that's ever been done. Yeah. Well, I think that, um, you know, I don't, we didn't really feel, uh, so much pressure, especially initially, I think for two reasons. Number one is that nobody really knew what this thing was and, and even us, like how they kind of present it. Like, obviously we understand like, this is going to be like a giant movie, but they're just kind of like, yeah, here's like, you know, it's a smooth, this property eternal is like, maybe you guys can just kind of play with it, you know? And they didn't um, like all the kind of like crazy marketing run up that we're seeing now. And we're going to see now, you know, between now and November, like that wasn't um, part of the conversation. Then it was more just like, here's a story. Let's try to figure it out. And so they were really, really good at just, um, you know, protecting us, I guess, from that kind of pressure and not letting that creep into our minds and just let us only focus on like, what can this movie be and what's going to be the best story. And, and I, I think that, you know, we worked really closely with Nate, with Nate Moore, um, developing, uh, the story and developing the script. And, um, you know, he was just like one of the most just brilliant and like pleasant people that I've worked with, you know, he really understands the the machine. He also understands the creative process and he was really good at sort of like managing wow. um, both of those things basically. Cause like, that's the thing is like Marvel is, they have this kind of um, this brain trust, you know, that they call the parliament. You can see it, you know, credited in yeah. a lot of their movies. And essentially it's their kind of like brain trust of, of filmmakers that, that will weigh in on their movies all throughout the whole process. But um, and you know, I don't, I don't know how many people are in it offhand, but you know, it's, it's a, it's a group of people, but when we're dealing with the movie, everything's being siloed through Nate. So we're not like being, you know, bombarded by like a million notes from all these different voices. Like everything's going through Nate and he's like translating it all and putting it in like a manageable, you know, package, I guess, Fantastic. for us to deal with. Yeah. Cool. Um, I know you can't talk at all about Story of Eternals, so I'm not going to ask you anything. I have one question about writing the Story of Eternals, which sure. is, let's say when you're watching Endgame and there's like a that first battle in New York City, you know, it's like Doctor Strange and Iron Man and uh, what, that the henchman of Thanos. When you're writing Ebony the script, Moore. <laughs> thank you. Sorry, when you're writing but- the script. How much of that are you scripting out and how much of that are you like, it, it's a fight scene? Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's definitely like early on, 
Well, two things I'll say about that is like, one is, you know, without kind of tooting our own horn, I think that we do write really good action scenes, you know, and, and you can see that in Ruin, you can see that in Mimi from Rio. So we do like enjoy writing action and we are like very conscious of like what is actually happening, what it looks like, how it feels, the pacing, like we're conscious of that while we're writing. But, you know, with um, when we're writing Eternals, they're very much like that should be like the lowest priority because like a lot of that's going to be done with like, you know, the, the special effects guys and and um, just like don't worry so much about what it is. But, you know, through fight scenes, you can reflect character, you know, you can reflect a character's personality, you can reflect a character's growth, you can reflect something, you know, clever that they do. So those kind of things we were really um, conscious of and would really pay attention to and, and making sure that we got that into the fights. But as far as like every single like punch, like he punches his right hand and he ducks and like, we don't like write that out to the detail, but got it. whatever's gonna like reflect the character's um, evolvement basically. At what point was Chloe Zhao attached to the project? Yeah, well we came on um, and did uh we came on early on well i mean we're the first ones on and we and, and we basically broke the movie and um and then we turned that into like this really long uh treatment basically that you know we did several rounds of notes on and kind of kept refining it and then um and then they ended up take then they took that treatment and went out to go look for uh, a director while we were writing the first draft so we wrote a whole draft before we ever had a director on and and I remember like a lot of the conversations about about potential directors and it was really um, exciting because like I would say that they were like their group of directors that they were going out to was like maybe like half, you know, kind of expected choices and the other half like totally unexpected choices. Yeah. And Chloe definitely was in that like latter camp, you know, because at the time she had only she had done um, Songs My Brother Taught Me, which is like a very small movie. And then she did The Rider, which made a big splash at Sundance, and it's a really amazing movie. And um, but you know that that I don't know the exact budget on that movie, but it was like maybe like two hundred thousand dollars. So we were thinking like, wow, you're gonna go from like making a two hundred thousand dollar movie to making like a two hundred million dollar movie. That's a pretty big jump. Um, and just like, you know, quite frankly, like looking at the this type of subject matter that she was interested in exploring, we were just like didn't totally see the connection um, with Eternals, but. You know, she pitched on it and then she she read our draft and then we finally, you know, and she obviously won the job and we got to meet her. And the thing that you would be surprised to know about Chloe is that she's actually a huge like Marvel nerd. Like she's she's just been a fan of uh, the franchise says uh, for for the whole for forever, basically. And she even has written like fan fiction about, you know, different <laughs> characters. Wow. Yeah. So she like she was really like very very um excited to be there and we and we discovered through the process of, get, of working with her and getting to know her that she has this whole other um side of her in terms of like her cinematic language and her um and movies that influence her um and so yeah so she came on after we did uh yeah i think like um like two one or two drafts and then we started working with her um from from that point and it was actually really crazy because she was filming nomadland at the time that she was working uh, with with us, you know, on, on Eternals. So she would basically be like, you know, she'd be in a meeting and we talk all about notes and et cetera, et cetera. And then she would just go off and disappear for like four weeks um, out in the plains of America to film this other like little movie. With to win an Norman. Academy Award. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
Um, and, uh, and yeah, I mean, and that, you know, she, to her credit, like she actually, she was cutting Nomadland while prepping for, uh, prepping to shoot Eternal. So she really was like, you know, juggling Sick. a lot at the time. <laughs> uh, Ryan, I promised you a 30 minute interview. We're, we're just about done with that. It is a rite of passage on the show. If you have five more minutes for us that I come up with a bespoke stupid game for every sure. guest we've ever had. Great. I've got a game for you right now. It's called The Uneternals. Now, this is a game about superhero movies that are nothing like The Eternals and that they are quite literally not eternal. They did not stand the test of time. That time being any time, anywhere, in any universe. Disclaimer to Hollywood. Ryan Furpo is not shitting on these films. He's one of you now. I've realized I will never make it into your ranks, which is heartbreaking, but it gives me the freedom to rip on these movies as deserved. Every answer is multiple choice, Ryan. Question number one. In the 1990 uneternal version of Captain America, Captain America was played by the son of which reclusive author, and somehow nobody ever talks about it. Is it the son of J.D. Salinger, the son of Hunter S. Thompson, the son of Charles Bukowski, or the son of Harlan Thromby? Um, I don't know this answer, so it's going to be an educated guess. And I'm pretty sure that Hunter S. Thompson never had kids. Not sure about Salinger, but I doubt it. Um, I'm going to say Harlan. Harlan Thrombey is the fake author from the movie Knives Out, played by Christopher Plummer. It was not It was not his son. It was J.D. Salinger's wow. son. You were almost there in the 50-50. Wow. Is that the Captain America film where he had like the ears stuck onto his head, like the, the fake ears? On the outside, yes. 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 And is I, that the, that's not the... Because like, I know that there's an Avengers that was made, I think, by Roger Corman, actually, because he had the rights and they were expiring, so he had to make a movie, otherwise he'd lose them. And so he made like a, an Avengers movie for like a million bucks that is like absolutely... I believe that's a Fantastic Four movie. Oh, yeah, and, you're right, you're and right. That, I'm sorry. There's a yeah. question about that coming up. Okay, oh. okay. Question Fun. number two. The very uneternal first appearance of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s Nick Fury wasn't played by Samuel L. Jackson, but was instead played by whom? I have no idea. Was it... David Hasselhoff, Jason Patrick, Tom Sizemore, or Mini Driver? I really hope that it's David Hasselhoff. David Hasselhoff is correct. Yes. What was that that's, in? That's amazing. I really would like was, to see that. That was a TV movie on Fox, I think, in the early 2000s, I believe. Wow. Question. All right, we're one and one, Ryan Furpo. Question okay. number three. In 1994's very uneternal Fantastic Four, the role of Johnny Storm was played by Jay Underwood. Jay played the titular superhuman role in at least three movies before this. Which one of these was the movie he was... Sorry, he, he played he played a, a, a boy with superpowers in a okay. movie before this. Which okay. of these was that boy the name of the movie here we go the boy who could walk through walls the boy who could fly the boy who only hit homers the boy who could lift a car above his head i really hope there's a movie called the boy who could lift a car above his head <laughs> so i want it to be that one 
It is the boy who could fly. The boy who could fly was a, a very popular, I believe, Disney movie back in the day. He also played uh, the Invisible Kid and uh, Not Quite Human. I don't know if you remember those from when we were kids, Ryan, but they were all. I don't. You were too busy reading R-rated comics. Question <laughs> number four. Stan Lee blamed poor ratings for the uneternal 1978 Doctor Strange TV movie. He blamed the poor ratings on it airing against which seminal miniseries? Ooh. Was it Captain's Courageous, The Thornbirds, Roots, or Ken Burns' Disco? So he's saying that whatever this this other series basically hurt the ratings yeah people watch that instead correct okay. um i'm gonna go i would there is there there cannot be a ken burns disco you must have made that up but i'm just gonna say that one i want to i want there to be a ken burns disco it's ken burns be disco roots. is also made up by me <laughs> <laughs> well, it I, actually the, I, the yeah. doctor strange in 1978 ran against roots yeah unfortunately okay. yeah that's pretty tough that's a tough one. Tough slot. <laughs> okay, this one should appeal to you as a writer. Here we go. Question five of seven. With lines like, well, I'll be dipped in shit and rolled in breadcrumbs, and look at here, boy, you ain't Superman, and you damn sure ain't getting paid, from 1997's Uneternal Steel, starring Shaquille O'Neal, obviously has some interesting dialogue. Are you sure you're not making up half these films? I'm not making them up. That one I remember. Yeah, I remember that one. Which of the following is true about the writing process of this film? Oh, man. They used children as consultants. (laughs) Mm -hmm. The movie was mostly improvised. Most of the dialogue was changed by Shaq's management. Or several of the scenes were written using Mad Libs. I think that's... Most of the dialogue was rewritten by Shaq's management. This film actually used children as consultants. Oh, come on. That was the one I was uh, convinced was a made-up answer. (laughs) They really, they shot it in South Central and they wanted to have a real South Central feel. So they actually got kids involved in writing some of the dialogue. Well, I respect their Did you think about doing that for Eternals, Ryan? No, I bet you didn't. (laughs) Question, <laughs> question number six. In 1997's very uneternal Justice League, the movie did not include Batman, Superman, or Wonder Woman. Which of the following villains did it include? So this one only has one real answer, three made up by me. Okay. The Mountain Man, the Weather Man, the Spiral Man, or the Muffin Man? Wow. So I'm trying to pick which one was in the movie. The actual villain yeah. from the from the original Justice League. Muffin Man, Spiral Man, Weatherman. I guess probably the Weatherman offers the most opportunities for like visual effects and a variety of visual effects. So I'm gonna go with the Weatherman. The weatherman is correct with some sound logic behind it. All right, here we go. Final question. What is the worst part of the incredibly uneternal Batman and Robin? Where do you stop? Is it Batman nipples, ice skating, 
sky surfing. Batman has a credit card that says Batman on it, and when he pulls it out, there's a cash register sound effect. Or lack of cultural representation. Oh, man. There definitely needs to be an F, all of the above. <laughs> yeah. Is that an option? There, Can I just go? There are no wrong up? answers here. This one is, I'm not going to make Ryan answer yeah. no. anything besides lack of cultural representation. We need to make sure he stays welcome in Hollywood. Ryan Furpo, dude, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. I, I honestly could have talked to you all day long. James just before has one you go, last thing. I have two very quick questions, Ryan, before you go. Yeah. Is it too early to ask what next? Are you still fully immersed in the MCU? I'm seeing ruin here at IMDb. Yeah, I mean, so, yeah, I would say that uh, this year has been kind of like a sort of a transitional point, I think, for me and my cousin Kaz. And we basically have had this, um, have had these amazing opportunities to do these great projects for like big studios, um, and which has been like a blast. And, uh, but this year we're starting to, we're kind of narrowing our focus and we're gonna be doing a lot more originals. And so right now we're actually working on what's going to be my cousin's directorial debut. Um, it's a movie called Motor City Girls, uh, which is about um, a group of five teenage run runaway girls in like mid nineties Detroit who uh, learned that they were the product of a cult that gave them superpowers. And so they're in the process of navigating the ruins of Detroit, trying to find uh, the cult leader who gave them their powers, who ends up being their father. So that is something that we're working on now that we want to do, uh, that we want to make ourselves. And that is going to open the door on just doing a lot more uh, original stuff as Fantastic. we go forward. Well, cool. final, final question. I guess there's no chance, and I mentioned we've just signed Sam Grafton, no chance in bringing you back to do a profile video <laughs> of, of Sam Grafton, the chatty man. I mean, honestly, like I do miss those days sometimes, you know, because <laughs> like, you know, it's not all sunshine and rainbows uh, in Hollywood. So um, I did like the the freedom, you know, that came with that. But it, I guess from what I hear, it's maybe it's not so much like that in the in the poker industry these days. <laughs> but, it's uh, tough everywhere. It's tough everywhere. Yeah, exactly. Um, Ryan, just to echo what Joe said, thank you so much for giving up yeah. so much of your time today. It's been an absolute joy speaking to you. And I know that Joe and I feel this way, and I'm sure most people listening to this podcast feel this way. We cannot wait for phase four of the MCU to properly begin and for us to see the Eternals movie in cinemas later this year. Yeah, me too. So thank you so much for having me on. And I uh, can't wait to watch the podcast. Of course, before we go today, there is the small matter of Supervan versus Stapes, and we welcome to the show Martin Villasenor. Martin, how are you today? I'm fantastic. How are you guys? So you, you came via Senor by way of? Am I understanding that correctly? Uh, more like uh, man's via. Something like that. <laughs> I, I am actually interested in where you genuinely are from because I'm concerned about what ungodly hour we've made you join this call. I'm from uh, Santa Rosa, California. So it's oh. not too late. So, all right, Martin, what is your routine like? What would you typically be doing right now? And what, what, how does the rest of your life look surrounding this? I would be sleeping, getting ready for sleeping for work. Uh, I'm, I work at a cabinet shop right now and coach in the afternoons. 
Are you a, a carpenter or a woodworker? Uh, I'm an apprentice right now. That's fantastic. Oh, my God. How's the price of wood right now? <laughs> Pretty high. There's a high demand for wood and woodworkers. And what do you coach? I coach soccer. And Kids as young as 18 months to high school. All right. First question. Do you really call it soccer? Or is that for our benefit? <laughs> uh, it's soccer. <laughs> it's football, but call it soccer. Well, I am going to say that I'm slightly jealous of Martin's life. Living in California, doing woodwork in the morning, coaching in the afternoon. It sounds like a hell of a life. Um, how, why did you discover us, Martin? How, is, how does poker play a role in your life? So I'm 22. So when I was 20, one of my friends decided to be like, hey, let's, let's try playing poker. And I was like, oh, uh, we'll give it a try. So we got a poker set. We played it one time and that was the only one that enjoyed it. <laughs> so then did you I, win? I did win. Yeah, that's it's amazing. Big, amazing. Yeah. You're, you're the one who got the bug. <laughs> so I was like, oh, let me look up. What, what, what's the deal with this? So I looked up. Uh, just poker on YouTube and I got the big game. And so I started watching that and just watched everything on poker stars. Cool. Um, now, obviously as someone based in the state of California for the second week running, no real money prizes are on the table, but poker stars merchandise is a thing. Um, I'm going to say what we should probably do is whoever loses this quiz should have to pay Patrick compensation for the fact that we made him research a quiz on the events of 2020, something that no human being should be asked to do. I got to say, Martin, I give you a lot of credit for choosing this category, mostly because it's fairly original. We get a lot of, you know, like movies, TV shows. This is a welcome change. I didn't study up. I didn't rewatch 2020. I'll tell you that much. I had enough of it the first time around, but uh, I do love like general knowledge trivia. So I'm actually really looking forward to this one. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. So usual format, usual rules apply. And as the guest, as the superfan Martin, you get to go first. So please give me a number between one and 10. Always coming seven. Always coming seven. What was the most played song of the year 2020? Multiple choice options are available. Most played song. Can I get the options? Was it Blinding Lights by The Weeknd, Dance Monkey by Tones and I, Say So by Doja Cat, or Tusi Slide by Drake? Was it Blinding Lights? It was Blinding Lights for a point. Nice you were one. on the board. I look, by the way, I love that song like i can't not dance when that song is on i hate the fact that i'm so susceptible to pop music but i absolutely love that song joe you get to choose next i'm gonna take question number two please question number two which film had the highest gross earnings in 2020 and to be clear this refers to earnings during the year 2020 and not films that were released in 2020 and have since grossed more I guess I'll have to take the choices just based on all the parameters here. Okay. Was it 1917, Sonic the Hedgehog, Tenet, or Bad Boys for Life? Man. Um, I'm going to go with Sonic the Hedgehog. Incorrect. It was actually Bad Boys for Life, God which came damn out. It. 
in January of last year. Uh, they, the asterisk here is that Tenet was released in September of 2020. It has since grossed the most out of those four films, but a significant portion of its earnings came in the year 2021. The only movie I saw was the one that I freaking... I did. I knew it was bad, boys. I'm so mad. I'm so tilted. All right. Okay. Low-scoring low game. One nil, but we've only had one round. Round two, Martin. Please give me a number other than seven deuce. Three. Question number three. Which team won Super Bowl 54? Oh, God. Uh, I should know this. I'm the, so got another nerd the Buccaneers. The it was not the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and that means, Joe, that the bonus passes to you. The answer was actually the Kansas City Chiefs. The bonus wait, wait, question... Wait, 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 wait. The Kansas City Chiefs did not win the Super Bowl. We're talking about the year 2020. Not the 2020 season. Oh, I see. Oh. Okay. Got it. <laughs> Super Bowl 54 was played in February a, of 2020. It's been, a, it's been a very long, weird year for all of us. Excuse me. Apologies. So... The bonus passes to you, Joe. We've established right. that the Kansas City Chiefs won. Which team did they beat? Uh, they beat the Seattle Seahawks. No, I'm pretty sure that Patrick included this as a needle to me. It was the San Francisco 49ers. Oh, right, the 49ers. Yeah. Just to be clear, these are all questions about the year 2020, which is the subject, Martin, that you suggested. Uh, Joe, your next question, please. It felt like the Buccaneers beating the Chiefs this year was 2020, okay? Um, que question one. Question number one. Oh, this is a joyful one. In which, in which province of China was COVID-19 first identified? <laughs> Wuhan. Correct for two points, and you do have a one-point lead going into the next round. Uh, so what's gone? One, two, three, and seven have all gone, Martin. You can have any other number. Uh, eight. Question number eight. Swarms of which animal destroyed crops across East Africa? Locusts. Wow. It was just a year that just kept on giving. Did you say locusts? Yes. In that case, you get two points. Wow. I would have got that wrong. Uh, Joseph, give me a number. What's the highest number available? Ten. Ten it is. Which social media app did President Donald J. Trump try to ban? Oh, he tried to ban TikTok. He did indeed, and you get two points. Four, three, the score going into the It was the maybe one of the round. only things I didn't dislike that he tried to do. <laughs> his, his motivations were incorrect, but yes. ultimately, does that matter? Uh, <laughs> four, five, six, or nine? Five. Question number five. Okay, I guess this does relate to 2020. How many U.S. presidents have been impeached? See, does impeach means it goes all the way through? Not enough. Just Is that an acceptable answer? <laughs> Is it two? Would you like the to take the multiple choice options? Multiple choice. Okay, there's choice, your mulligan. Yeah. Is it one, three, five, or seven? One. The answer is actually three. And that means the bonus passes to you, Joe. Can you name all three? Johnson, Clinton, Trump. Correct, and Joe gets the bonus point. Wow. Okay. Joe, four, <laughs> Johnson. six, or nine? Uh, nine, please. 
I guess I, I should have asked you to clarify which Johnson because it wasn't LBJ, but I think... Andrew Johnson. Yeah. Uh, sorry, 4609? Nine, please. Number nine. What is the full name of the Tiger King? Oh, it's Joe something. I don't think that. <laughs> I'm actually proud of myself that I could name the three presidents who are impeached, but I can't fucking name the Tiger King. This is a win in my book. <laughs> Give me the choices on the Tiger King names. Okay. Is it Joe Tropical, Joe Exotic, Joe Humid, or Joe Jungle? Joe Exotic. People out there are probably furious I needed the choices on that one. Like, what, you idiot? How do you not know Joe, Joe Exotic? Thank you. Okay. And the bonus question, Joe, what was the name of his main rival? I don't know, but I'm going to come up with something hilarious. The, uh, the Alligator Duke. I believe it's Carol Baskin, who's now become <laughs> something of a celebrity in reality TV circles. Wouldn't um, it be way better if his main rival was the Alligator, the Duke of Alligators? <laughs> okay, right. Martin, we've got some work to do here, and we're going to need a lot of points. So I'm going to direct you towards four, because four has a bonus, whereas six doesn't. Uh, four. Okay. <laughs> He's nice, happy question, this one. In which month did Kobe Bryant tragically die in a helicopter crash? Oh, that's sad. It is sad. It's oh. 2020, dude. Not a lot of fun <laughs> stuff happened in 2020. Um, it was either March or January. Oh, he's just leaving February out entirely. I don't think it was in February. Was it... Was at the start. Was it January? It was January for two points. Well gambled. Nice work. So that work. takes you up to five points. If you get the bonus question correct, you will tie the game going into the final question. The bonus question, and I'll take either of the numbers. What jersey did Kobe wear for the Lakers? Ooh. Eight and twenty-four. 8 and 24. There we go. So you get the bonus point. So, Joe, if you get this question right, either with or without the options, you win the game. Who became the first person in the year 2020 to have a net worth of more than $200 billion? Elon Musk. Is incorrect. It was Jeff Bezos, which means we go to the tiebreaker because we do have a tied game. Now, this is an interesting one. I don't know if Captain Tom Moore was on your radar, but he was a, I believe he was either 99 or 100 years old. He was a former soldier who raised money for the NHS during lockdown. Hmm. And the question here is how much money did Captain Tom Moore raise for the NHS? And bear in mind, there were donations as well. It was a significant amount of money. So, Joe, I so want Martin, you to So, just to me... explain this to you, the NHS is this thing in England where <laughs> you don't have to pay if you get sick. You don't lose your house what? or your car. They don't send you a massive bill afterward. It's fucking crazy over there. It's complete, it's complete chaos. Although, clearly, based on the fact that people are having to raise money for it like it's a charity, it's right. underfunded and under-resourced. Yes, okay. So, Joe, I want you to give me a number. I want you to tell me how much money you think Captain Tom Moore raised for the NHS, and then I'm going to ask Martin to take the over or the under on the number that you give me. Okay. I think Captain Tom Moore 
raised 10 million pounds for the NHS. Okay, Martin, you can take the over or the under. Over. Significantly over. 32,796,155 great British pounds. And that means, Martin, <laughs> you just squeaked to victory. Congratulations on winning the Thank quiz you. of 2020. And we will make sure that we send you a bumper bag of Pokestar swag. Here's the problem with winning the super fan quiz at such a young age. Now you're hooked. Now you're hooked on super fan quizzes. You got that same rosy feeling of the first time you ever played. You won. Just be careful because they won't always be this easy. I'm a chaser's feeling. <laughs> <laughs> Martin, thank you for applying to come on the show. Thank you for giving up your time today. It was good to talk to you. Thank you for having me. All right, my babies, we are just about out of time for this week's show. Coming up next week, how are we ever going to top Ryan Furpo? We've got We're Tonka. Not. <laughs> Tonka, sure. Hey, for some people, I'm sure it's a bigger deal than Ryan Furpo, but that's right. Tonka P. Parker Talbot himself will be on the show from a writer of Marvel movies to occasional watcher of Marvel movies. <laughs> That's a nice connection. I like that. That was seamless. <laughs> Time to bring it back to poker. Um, also, as I mentioned, I'm going away this weekend uh, to a somewhat poker-themed wedding. Obviously, lots of people. I, don't, I won't be the first person to say it's my first time going away since way before... Um, the pandemic. Uh, it's it's been it's been a while. So uh, I'm I am nervous, not necessarily for my health, but just for experiencing a new thing again. Uh, it's it's a very strange feeling, uh, and I hope to come back with some fond memories and some good stories for you guys. Uh, we do have some holes coming up for super fans. Yeah, as we get to the end of, I know you like to call them seasons, Joe, but as we get towards yeah. the end of May, beginning of June, there are a couple of holes that we need to fill. So do keep the Superfan applications coming in. Uh, Guest-wise, again, I think we're pretty much there until we take our summer break. But still, even if we bank them for the autumn months, really keen to know if there's anyone out there in the poker world, in the industry, in the community who you think we should speak to. Um, and again, it was nice to trawl the timeline and read out your questions and comments. So please do contribute and we'll try and make more of an effort to make sure that your contributions are part of the show. The hashtag we're using now is P-I-T-E. I know there are some people like Superfan Chad who are still using hashtag poker in the ears. Just takes up too much room in the tweet. And also, I love the fact that our tweets now sit in a sea of stuff about teacher education. So PITE is definitely the way to go. All right. Use it. Use it for your questions, your comments, your super fan applications, your guest suggestions. However, that is all the time we have got for this week's show. Until next time, for James Hardigan, I am Joe Stapleton. Smell you later.